0: Ready graphics? Ready theme? You Good evening. For your information tonight. That, they, that was when they started to get that idea of like, oh, we could actually do a serious-ish story. Like, we could be explaining the economy, but we could use, like, Mean Girls Chips. And that that's more fun and it very of our generation. And, like, marks it as young people doing something new versus just, like, doing the same old thing. Hi, this is Jessie Mullins.
1: And this is Lauren Milberger.
2: And welcome back to part two of our interview with Jennifer. As you may have heard, we were just about to truly dive into the conversation of Mean Girls and her book So Fetch. So we, we really hope you enjoy where we go with this.
1: And just a few clarifications for what we go into in this episode. We talk about Lucille Callan writing for your show of shows. So just in case people are not familiar with your show of shows, it was a sketch comedy show in the 1950s. And it's become quite famous, not just because it was... A show for Sid Caesar, a big comedian at the time, but all of the writers went on to write major things. You had Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, who wrote the Dick Van Dyke show, which is how when we referenced Sally Rogers. I mentioned an essay book that Jennifer and I both contributed to. I just want to clarify that when I mentioned it was an FYC, it's a it's a four-year consideration. 200 page coffee table book, if you can believe it, that unfortunately <laughs> is only being sent out to people in the industry for voting purposes. It's called The Magnificent, Magical, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and you actually can find it on eBay if you so desire, but it is not hey. for publication yet. Yet. Yes. Hopefully. So enjoy the episode. Enjoy.
2: So, a book that you have coming that seems yes. to be uh, quite well timed, So Fetch.
0: It is weirdly well-timed. I have to tell, like, the secret is we didn't know it was quite this well-timed. Oh, you didn't? Wow. (laughs) What serendipity? It's a little weird. We actually moved our date first before they... It was very weird. Anyway, neither here nor there. It's happening all concurrently. And yes, so my next book is about Mean Girls, the movie. And it is its 20th anniversary, so in that sense it is not probably a total coincidence that we are Wow, that is bananas to think about. It's a little much. It's a yeah. little much. Time is slippery. And on the other hand, a lot has changed. So it's it's, you know, a lot has changed in that time. And it was something that I kind of almost didn't realize until I was writing the book how much, you know, things were very different. Like technology was different, like Facebook had just been invented. Uh, you know, cell phones were not ubiquitous or all powerful, you know, still kind of we were having a very like women in comedy moment. That's right around that. That's like right before that time of the Mm -hmm. infamous Christopher Hitchens are women funny. Actually, Christopher Hitchens was like women are not funny.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then I always say like, I always feel like as if on cue, it's like he put out that essay and then something like three weeks later, we had just like women. It was just like (laughs) <laughs> you know, Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, Amy Poehler. Like, it was just, like, this endless barrage then of women answering that and being like, no, I think we are. I think we've got this. Women were – funny women were so ubiquitous. And, like, I would argue that era of Saturday Night Live was the first time oh that women God. just, oh, like, yeah. took it Massively over and dominated. were like, actually, we got this. Um, the women were by far the standouts and the funniest, and I think that yep. – probably still holds true, but we just went through this era of like the Kristen Wiggs and Amy Polars mm-hmm. and Tina Fey's and on through and, you know, all the way through to like Kate McKinnon. Um, and it just I this this is like right at the beginning of that Mean Girls to me is right at the beginning of that. And weirdly at the time, right at the beginning of us not even totally knowing Tina Fey's full powers, it was like yeah. she was head writer and was the first woman, um, which she doesn't like to talk about, but it's true. And, you know, so that was, we knew that. And she was doing Weekend Update with Jimmy Fallon at the time. And she had become a real, um, you know, she had become famous for that. And I have to tell you, just like, I think you will appreciate this more than most people going through kind of the old clips of the time and seeing the way people wrote about Tina Fey, which I didn't expect to see so much sort of weird objectification of Tina Fey. Yeah. Um, But like, people could not calm down about her glasses. Hot librarian. It was like the rise of that all over again. The men were very excited about her glasses in a way that I did not fully remember or expect. I mean, there were so many glasses puns. It's like, well, a woman had never worn glasses before. And at some point in one interview, someone asked her about them, and she's like, "Well, I need them to see the cue cards." <laughs> and I was like, "What a weird thing to have to say." Where they're like, "Well, so mm. did you like engineer how, this whole how, image how and could whatever?" You wear and she's these like, things on "No." And how nice. could they not signify that you're an absolute ugo? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like truly really did not expect the level of you know of intensity. With that too it's just like we were really garbage to women i mean Mm -hmm. historically in general but the 2000s were actually oh what a time point things were very very bad bad between like the tabloids and just even the new york times or who you know like just normal places mainstream publications were writing this way about her and i mean the way she would have to just kind of be like i guess this is great that i'm famous you know like You know, now she's such a giant and so respected and I don't think people would dare. But it was just very interesting to see that. But I think this movie is such a hallmark in terms of just like introducing the Tina Fey comedy style to the world. And I think it is the most influential or one of the most influential comedy writing styles of the last 20 years. Everyone tried to do it after she did it. No one exactly. could do it as well. Mm-hmm. I just recently learned it's she's it somebody did the math on Thirty Rock and it's something like seven point four four jokes per minute. Jeez! Um, so that's more than one per, one every ten seconds.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that tracks though. That it makes was, sense. I hadn't thought about it, but like you said that, I went, "Yeah." I'm
2: curious. First and foremost, have you seen the musical before? I've seen the stage
0: musical twice. I'm about to see the movie musical, but I haven't yet.
2: Aren't we all? Um, But I am curious because, you know, the great timing is that I love the tagline, get in loser, we're going back to 2004. But now that we know that there's an adaptation of an adaptation, and technically, Mm -hmm. Mean Girls is also an adaptation. Yes, which is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like thing on thing on thing. But I think I'm curious when you were looking back at it before you knew that someone was about to update it to current times, what you saw as things that still ring true, Mm -hmm. Within the jokes or the setting or the people being represented, and what
0: would need to be updated? Well, I would say, um, I mean, I think that most of the updating, this is an obvious prediction, but I think most of the updating is going to be kind of, you know, to make it feel more appropriate for 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a number of things, small, I think they're relative, you know, we've seen bigger things in movies from that era. But, like, there's definitely some parts that are pretty um, insensitive, you know, mm-hmm. to, to modern ears. So there's a, a, quite a bit of fat shaming, um, you know, just the names of the, some of the groups, right? That like, you know, the girls who hit their, their feelings, um, like, all of that stuff. Um, there's definitely some racial stuff, the worst mm-hmm. being, like, the Asian girls that are all sleeping with Coach Carr. Yep. We could debate whether Coach Carr even – you know, having these sexual relationships with young girls is an edgy mm-hmm. joke or a little too much, but there you go. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see different things in that regard. Um, we'll see updates in that way. And of course, like some, you know, you have to do some like technological. We've seen it in the, in the trailer already that they're, they're basically like, what if mean girls with music and TikTok and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and John Hamm? Um, yeah. That's basically what I took from the trailer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, So we'll see that. But the thing is that I think the reason we're still talking about it and that there's even the possibility of putting this out as a film, you know, now is just that it's it's it still rings true. And it maybe will always like we wish that we had come farther on things like bullying. But I'm not I don't know if we're forever really gonna you know, this seems like a very human thing.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's not just girls yeah it's not just high school girls even though it's so it's brought to wonderful life by them and in a way actually brought to kind of like lower stakes uh life so that we can talk about it and laugh at it whereas Mm -hmm. you know we see people even use this phrase mean girls like people have used it in regards to like donald trump and his minions you know i talked to sherry lansing who was the ceo of paramount at the time of the movie and it's one of the things she's most proud of um, even though she's been involved in incredibly yeah. legendary projects, Just she a said to things. me she, she <laughs> wanted to talk to me because she was so proud of this movie. That's great to hear! And one of the things she said to me was how much she felt that she related to it when she read it. She was like, "Yes, of course I relate to it from my childhood, but also last week in a boardroom, you know, like this is this stuff does not stop for anyone. Everyone relates to it, and I think that's why." You know, and being able to kind of laugh at it a little bit and also have all of these incredibly quotable lines to talk about it and to also have just the I think just calling it Mean Girls turns out to be a stroke of great genius because they had it was supposed to be called homeschooled. And I don't oh. think we would all be walking around saying like, "Oh, that's a very homeschooled situation," right? Didn't like that's that. not no. interesting. It's Mean Girls. It's that's a Mean Girls situation. You hear it all the time. I have a Google alert on Mean Girls, and so now I really know how much people. <laughs> yes. And like every reality show, I think it's so interesting that this is the beginning of the reality show era too. And mm-hmm. that right after that, that's basically what reality shows are about. Whether it's The Bachelor or Real Housewives or whatever, like it's really about. As they say, you know, as they said in Queen Bees and Wannabees, the source material, relationship aggression, relational aggression. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's why it's like both its relatability and, to be honest, its quotability. And the fact is, I talk about this in the book, but like it was at the exact right time in internet history to become one of the first and most memed things ever. And because Tina Fey writes 7.44 jokes per minute almost every line is quotable. And so all of them can become memes. And so I think all of those factors together are why we can be here 20 years later and I've written a book about it and there is a musical version of the movie coming out.
2: I think it's also uh, within that, not only all of those factors, but also it was coming out right when kind of the elder cusp millennials and younger Gen X were all either in college or going into college. So those that age bracket, was now having their own money, their own yep. say in what was rising with their consumerism and what was interesting. And the first generation to really kind of understand how to harness the internet.
0: That's exactly right. I actually have a whole chapter that like gets really into this. And the fact that specifically, it was like the in- the invention of the GIF. Mm-hmm. And that was right when millennials were entering media and so, like, both amateurs on media, but also people who literally worked at BuzzFeed. And I <laughs> talked to someone who worked at BuzzFeed and about this because they were, like, the, the – they could have just been called, like, Buzz Mean Girl. Like, they were just mean girls all the time. And – she said they were very aware of the fact that like Mean Girls content did really well for them. Mm -hmm. And then they, that was when they started to get that idea of like, oh, we could actually do a serious ish story. Like we could be explaining the economy, but we could use like Mean Girls gifs and that that's more fun and very of our generation and like marks it as young people doing something new versus just like doing the same old thing. And so there's all of these weird things, weird factors that kind of come together. And of course, if that's going to be the bedrock of like the first GIFs and the first memes, they're always going to be in the catalog now. Yes. Right. They're always going to be there. And just as a side note, so the opening scene of my book is that I kind of orchestrated a little sleepover party um, with some neighborhood girls (laughs) who are in sixth and eighth grade last year. And we watched Mm. the movie. And Because I wanted to, I really genuinely was like, what are you? Like, I had kind of known that it was catching on with new generations, but I was like, what are they seeing? So I wanted to know. But one of the most fascinating things was that one of these girls kept reciting like all the big lines with it, you know? And then the the bus scene happens and spoiler alert, (laughs) Regina (laughs) gets hit by a bus and she flipped out. She flips out and is like, oh my God, is that real? Like meaning within the movie. She was like, is that real or in a dream? And so we like pause the movie and I was like, How would you not like you knew you just knew all the lines? You didn't know where Gina was gonna get hit by a bus. And she was like, I only know them from TikTok. Oh so my gosh.
1: Oh, of course. That's where we're
2: at. I mean, I even think about the fact that, you know, I talking to friends if they're talking about having a relationship issue with friends the phrase is i've got mean girled by them
0: yep exactly like, it, it is ubiquitous it, it's totally and it's like when you i have th- this thing that like when you name things when you can name something that didn't have a name before it's super powerful like i did mm-hmm. a book about seinfeld and i felt that this was a huge thing that seinfeld did for us with all of their little catchphrases mm-hmm. is just like to name like you know sponge worthy or shrinkage or whatever mm-hmm. Um, allows you to then be able to talk about a thing they couldn't talk about before with this shorthand. And I think that's what the mean girls thing did, is it just made you be able to go like, well, I got mean girls or whatever. Mm -hmm. And people immediately understand it could be a variety. It's a couple of different kinds of behavior, but like you get the general sense, like Mm -hmm. maybe somebody asked, you know, what do you think of her and then went over and told the other person or like the phone call triangulation that they do, right? I'm reading a memoir where that literally happened to this woman. She's just talking about how she, like somebody did the thing, the sneak attack with this friend on the other line and said like, what do you think of so-and-so? And then I, the girl said bad things. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, this is, this is just a thing that exists. And, you know, Queen Bees and Wannabes sort of cataloged it in this nonfiction form and Mean Girls made it funny and fun to watch and, with great 2000s fashion. Oh, yeah.
2: That's the part I'm
0: actually really (laughs) excited to see is what they do with the fashion in the new
2: movie because so much of that fashion is back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: now I'm like, how much is it actually going to quote unquote look updated to my eye? Because it's going to look like things I was wearing. Right. 20 years ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a totally different team. So I'm very interested to see like aesthetically and all Mm because I also think they're really trying to distinguish it. I don't don't know if you've seen the, the first version of the the trailer that upset With everyone no I music. know. Mm-hmm. The yeah. one the one that says, it's not your mother's Mean Girls. That's the part like, that yeah. everybody flipped out about. They were like,
2: Who's, who is the mother who is in this situation? <laughs> Whose mother are you talking about? I know about? I am not the mother. <laughs> I was mainly just like, I thought it was a musical. It's a musical, right?
0: <laughs> right. I got so many texts from people that were like, why are they remaking Mean Girls line by line? And I was like, they're not. It's a musical, but you wouldn't know it. It's oh, blessed. So weird. Bless them. So I know. You,
1: you may have... <laughs> Answer this a bit, but for a movie that, as we've mentioned, is a millennial classic written by a Gen Xer, what do you think its legacy going forward as a film, regardless of the musical, for for the next generation? I think
0: it's really interesting, like because that was why I wanted to watch it with younger people—is to be like, what is this like? I'm trying to get maybe—is it like me watching Grease or something? I was trying to like yeah. figure out what you know, and I think that's maybe a little bit correct. Because it's, it's like it has an emotional core that's still relatable, but also is obviously from a different era. Mm-hmm. But I think they kind of like that, too. Like, I think they like to see, you know, this older era with very few cell phones and, mm-hmm. like, she has to make photocopies <laughs> to get the burn book around, right? That's mm-hmm. crazy. You just wouldn't have to do that now. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to know for sure how long something's going to last. It's lasted this long. People still seem to connect with it. It'll be interesting to see how this musical version, like, does or does not affect that. I have a suspicion that people are still going to go back to the original. Mm. I think this is going to be like a novelty thing, and then people are going to still, when they want to rewatch, go back to the original because it's just so iconic and yeah. specific to a memory. Um, and I guess it's not a memory for the for the new people for the for generations to come. Mm. But you know, I think I think it's held up this long, and so you know, I think we will see it continue to hold up. And I think especially it's it's really about that writing. It's really about Tina's writing. And I don't think we would be here talking about it if it weren't for that. It's so much funnier than any other teen movie that came before it. Exactly. And I think that that's so important. Like, I think it's actually a huge service that she did to teen girls. Because it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's in a way, like that's a way of taking an audience seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, men had things like Caddyshack, or, you know, these things that they quote, mm-hmm. the Blues Brothers, the things they quote over and over again, Ghostbusters. And I think women have been girls. And then we got bridesmaids. You know, we started and bridesmaids. trying to, you know, get our exactly. things eventually. And I think that's really important, too. I, I think an argument can be made. I don't like to do the whole, like, this couldn't have happened without this mm-hmm. kind of sure. argument because it's nuts and whatever. Um, things can happen in, in any order at any time. But I do wonder if, like, I do feel as if Mean Girls at least helped to pave the way, which Bridesmaid, I I know for a fact, was still, like, a slog to get made. Like, it was yeah. still like, yeah. no, 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 women want to go to the movies. You know, mm. we do this all the time. Women want to yeah. go to the movies. No, they don't. <laughs> oh, my God, we're so surprised that this made all this money at the box office. Like, great, um, we are the economy, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wonder <laughs> about, like, I think I'm writing something about this right now, but I think a lot about this past year and, you know, the year of Barbie Bridesmaids and Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not bridesmaids. Uh, Taylor and Beyonce, yeah. and it's hard to imagine they can still ignore it. But I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, <laughs> like, it's, I'm not going to get my hopes up. You're making me realize that I think in many
2: ways, Mean Girls was to the the teen 2000s girl experience what one of my favorite movies, Galaxy Quest, was to Star Trek. It was mm-hmm. the we who are within that identity love it because it's we're in on the joke. Mm-hmm. It's not just at our expense. Yes. Yes. Which I think is That's, probably why it was so powerful to a lot of us, because yes. we can laugh at what we recognize. We're not just a bun. It's not all the men laughing at how stupid
0: we are. That's right. Or even how bitchy. It's like there's yeah. all these different kinds of girls in that movie. And so everybody and I think, you know, it's you cannot understate the importance, I think, of allowing these girls to be bad. Yes. Essentially, you know, allowing them to be not nice. If you really think back on like teen movie history, that's something we had not seen. I mean, Clueless is the closest thing to this movie. And Cher yeah. could not be cuddlier. Like Cher is the sweetest thing you've ever seen. And no one's really mean. No one's really bad. Um, but that's kind of the joy of that movie to some extent. But um, Mean Girls really allowed them to be bad. Even its heroine mm-hmm. goes bad for a while. And it succumbs to the fun of being the queen bee, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that, and also just allowing these actresses to do, like, oh my God, I mean, Rachel McAdams. Oh, um, That's so good. <laughs> You just, so it's good. like one of my favorite things that I learned in this book was that the director, Mark Waters, told her to watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and bring that to the character. And when you know that, watching it, It's all there. When you just are like, oh, she's just doing Alec Baldwin in (laughs) Glenn Curry, Glenn Ross right now. It's so you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. That's right. But that's a very different. I do not think that was any kind of direction that Alicia Silverstone got for Nullis or any other girl in uh, any other teen movie before that. Well, that would actually have to take them seriously. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. It's that's exactly the thing is just that you can't that's the part that's happening here on all levels and it that comes from tina it has to
1: it's unfortunately a conversation that keeps happening today that we talk a lot about was prevalent when murphy brown started this idea of the unlikable female character the fact that we're still having this conversation you know is it okay oh well not everyone's gonna like a woman unless she's likable you know and that also goes Mm -hmm. back to mary tyler moore which we've spoken about right that she wasn't able to get out of this mold of of perhaps having a bad day. Right. And I think that when you have women like Tina Fey writing other women, there's more likely to see sort of that complexity women are as human as anyone else and so therefore we have unlikable qualities it doesn't mean that it doesn't make for a compelling character
0: yeah i mean and i think regina george is the one that you know sort of is going to stand the test of time like someone yeah. asked me recently like which which of these characters is like the most oh. iconic and i think there's just no question that regina is and i think you can even see it you know going back to the musical version that's coming out if you look at those trailers yeah it's her
1: movie <laughs> i mean oh yeah
0: to, to be fair, Renee Rapp is going to yeah, suck all the air out of her yeah, room, she's no matter what. Fabulous. <laughs> well,
2: and even the fact that, like, Renee Rapp was a replacement. Yes. But she has become synonymous with Regina.
0: Yeah. She's so good. She's so good. I'm really, I'm excited for her in this movie, for sure. Same. Um, but yeah, like, it just shows you, it's, I, I was actually wondering how much we're going to see you know, Regina George essentially being the main character here. Mm-hmm. Whereas clearly, I mean, I talk a lot about this in the book, but there was a lot of drama over, you know, um, Lindsay Lohan actually wanted to play Regina mm-hmm. originally. And the studio was like, absolutely not. You are a bankable star. Mm-hmm. You need to play the main girl. And I think it's a better role. I'm not an actress. I actually think it's a better role because you get to do a bunch of stuff instead yeah. of the one thing. But clearly, Regina's the scene-chewing role, and she's going to be... No one's like, oh, Katie Heron. Um, (laughs) You know, like... From an actor's standpoint, I think, actually, Regina is more
2: satisfying,
1: because Mm. I think she
2: actually, as opposed to Katie, who you know is the good one that you root for, who goes bad but comes back to being good, Regina, bad person, bad person, bad person, soft underbelly. It's true. Gets She gets actual redemption, whereas Katie just goes back to
0: being Katie. Katie. So I think there
2: is actually something to Regina having... The hero's
0: arc of the she movie. May, you're right. She may be actually be the one who changes. Katie mm-hmm. like briefly changes and then goes back. But mm-hmm. like you're right that she actually has the arc that she learned something and just goes and plays like lacrosse or whatever instead. Yeah, I have more affection and sympathy for Regina than I do Katie. I <laughs> mean, it's also it's just a testament to who's playing her too. Exactly. Right. I just I also have a whole theory about like if you have like you have like really nice people play. Terrible mm-hmm. people. Yes. Then you still like them. Any. I think of Julia Louis Dreyfus. Um. She's always playing just awful, awful people. <laughs> um. But she's so sweet that like that comes. You just like her anyway. Mm-hmm. Or even George Costanza for that matter. I think like Jason. You just feel for the guy even though he's there's nothing to like about him. Nothing. You know? Nothing. No. Yeah. But everybody said such nice things about Rachel being on set with her. Mm. This movie and 13 Going on 30 came out within Mm. weeks of each other and Mm -hmm. both hit number one. No one thought that could happen. Everybody thought like, you know, 13 Going on 30 was the surprise hit. Mean Girls is done. And then Mean Girls came out a few weeks later and was number one. And then so there were all these think pieces about the two of them together. And the thing that the point that they made was that, and I think it's relatively valid, is that um, both allowed their heroines to be flawed, I would say, more so in Mean Girls. But, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, the the main character, Jenna in 13 going on 30 is like when she when she finds her adult self, she finds <laughs> out her adult self was very bad. Yes. Um it's sort of complicated. But um, then she's very sweet afterwards. But, mm-hmm. you know, there still is this element of like your main character can be not perfect and that they felt they, all the think pieces got it. All of them were like, this is what girls want. And then, of course, they immediately go back to Yeah. Dumb stuff.
1: Speaking of going back, if we go back to the beginning of television, another topic that I think all of us are very interested in is the female writers of television very early on. I know specifically uh, you and I were uh, lucky to be or I think honored personally myself to be asked to write about this in the context of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, particularly someone who I've been fascinated for a long time, Lucille Callen. Mm-hmm. For those listening, we have probably mentioned her before, but if you haven't, Lucille Callen wrote for your show of shows, uh, was the only woman on the staff and oddly enough has been fictionalized in a number of different venues, I would say. Although I think some people would say that Sally Rogers is probably a combination of her and Selma Diamond, correct?
0: Yeah, but that's what I think of. I like when I think of her. That's what I think of. Yeah, I sure. think of that as well. It yeah. Is. But
1: I've I've seen Laughter on the 23rd floor, which is Neil Simon's play. There's mm-hmm. uh, My Favorite mm-hmm. Year. But little information is known about her. Can you talk a little bit about Lucille Callen? Yeah,
0: you're right. I mean, there is just not that much. And that's it's so interesting because writing about it in the context of Mrs. Maisel, it's like, that was the joke, right? That was the joke on Maisel was that somebody meets her and they're like, oh, you must know Lucille Kalin. And she's like, Well, oh, no, we don't all know each like."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is I did find this really great interview that Lucille did when My Favorite Year became a musical on Broadway, I think in the early 90s. And she's like, there were four of us. Now, she doesn't mention everybody, so she may just be speaking of comedy writers, per se, as opposed mm. to, you know, just there were some... Also, she doesn't mention actors who are also writing as well. But the fact that she's like, yeah, there were like four of us is crazy to think of now, right?
0: Right. And it, and in some ways, it's like it was a joke when he was like, oh, you must know the other female writer. But is it a joke? Like, you know, like, I, I kind of feel like they would have had to at least – they would definitely know of each other. I don't know if they would be friends, and I can imagine a world in which they would feel like enemies. Yeah, right. Um, just because yeah. it was so – it's, like, so rare. And at that time, you really would have, like, the girl writer, and that was your novelty, but that was the best that mm-hmm. that we could do, right? Um, that was it. And so you definitely are not going to have two. That would be crazy. And <laughs> – you know, that's so in that sense, I don't know if they would have been friends. And something that struck me a lot, like when in When Women Invented Television, for instance, is how I mentioned there were no support systems for like a single mom, but there were no support su- systems for like women in television either. And this goes on through the 50s and 60s and really until the 70s when they start to actually have like a women's group in the Writers Guild, for instance. Before that, there was nothing. And so, there was almost no acknowledgement of the fact that this was possibly even happening and they wouldn't necessarily be friends because they were, I think they were too busy trying to survive. And that was sort of what I got. Like there were, I would have loved if my win women invented television women were all best friends and knew each other, hmm. but I got the really distinct sense that these women are just trying, we're just trying to survive in the industry and it didn't even occur to them. That's what's so crazy. I have no mm-hmm. evidence that it occurred to them to be like, To For Gertrude to be like, I should call Betty. Like, I'm super powerful. There's no reason I can't. I should just go talk to that lady who's doing this, you know? Yeah, there were only so many slices of pie. Yeah. So I I think that they really both were just trying to survive and also maybe, you know, didn't necessarily reach out to each other for a variety of reasons. And we just, it's so fascinating how many of these women we don't know that much about, going back to Lucille Kalen. I guess at least she had fictional counterparts. So that's how I imagine her now is just all written by men though, right? You
1: know, Uh so I'm so, I think that's one of the reasons why I've become so fascinated with her is I, I would love to hear her story. And she does have one of those interviews you mentioned, you know, but she never really got to tell her own story in a way. Mm.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I think we see this over and over and over again. And that's like why I wanted to write when women invented television, for instance. And, People would always ask me, like, why do you think these women disappeared from history? And there's a whole bunch of reasons. Like, there's little factors, right, and the blacklist and all that stuff. But you know, it's there's also just sexism. Like, I can't get around. I just can't. I wish that weren't true. But one example is that, like Gertrude, as we talked about, was so huge. And then I got this book that was like the definitive book written maybe in a little later, like in the 60s, about the beginning of television. But it was like fresh. So I figured, you know, that when they wrote it, they were writing about a thing that had happened just 10 years ago. Oh, here's how television came together. And it was supposed to be this definitive thing. And I got it thinking like, oh, this is going to be great research. And then I went and like looked in the index and Gertrude wasn't there. And I was like, how is that possible? And then another time I went to do a CNN series, The History of the Sitcom, like to be a talking head on it. Mm-hmm. Which I did, and it was great. But they sent me this extremely long list of different things they were going to cover, and I had to be like, "You need to put grocery Berg here." Good. And I don't blame them as much because they were doing that yeah. contemporaneously, and like they wouldn't know because this is the whole point, right? Yeah. But it's it's fascinating to me that so many of these women, and I think part of it, I mean, this makes I'm my now my imagination is just going here, but on like something somebody like Lucille Kalin, it's like what. You know, how was she trying to craft her own image? Did she think it was better to just shut up, not talk about yourself? Did people want to do stories on her? And she was like, no, no, no. Like, or was it too early to even for people to even want to do those stories? By the 70s, there's a number of these women where, I mean, like in my Mary Tyler Moore show book, one of my favorite examples is Susan Silver. You know, TV guy did a thing on her and the the headline was the the writer wore hot pants. Um, (laughs) And Gosh. she did. She did pose in hot pants at her typewriter, and it's very cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, we all understand what's happening there. Mm-hmm. And you know, she would play the game. But maybe there are women who would rather not, like a Lucille Kalen, or or was it? Is it? It's weird to think, but it's possible that people didn't even want to do stories on like the girl writer.
1: Oh, I bet. Then.
0: So and they
1: called them girl writers, and they called yeah, them exactly. girl writers. That's actually something I was curious if maybe you found out in your research, because having been slightly obsessed with this idea, I've, I've read a bit. And so watching <laughs> Maisel, when they refer to them as lady writers, I was thrown because I had only heard the term girl writer. But then I thought, well, maybe it was interchangeable. Did you find if that was a phrase that was used or was that something that Maisel just used instead of girl writer? This just sounded better to them? I would
0: this is just totally me
1: guessing, yeah. but I
0: agree. I I'm more with you. Like I think, I, I, just based on everything I've like, it's actually overwhelming. Like there was, it was kind of almost a joke, where you know there was this raft of books that when women invented television was definitely like of the genre, um, that were all about like the women who did a thing you didn't know they did. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It was just like mm-hmm. there was a lot of this. So, but they were all like rocket girls. This girl, that like. And the reason is not because the current authors were sexist, but because that is usually what the they were referred to in their time, mm-hmm. yeah. and they were all grown women. And it's weird. I, I sometimes I'm like I don't like I, I'm weirdly writing about something about girl versus woman right now. Oh, um, awesome. Mainly because I, just as a side note, ma- mainly because like you know we had this whole like all the trend pieces about like it was the year of the girl. I don't know if you guys caught yep. this, but it was like oh, girl yeah. culture year. Mm-hmm. And I was like. Yep. I don't wanna be like a weird stickler about this, but are you not speaking of all women mm-hmm. yeah. when you're like, and they'd be like, Taylor Swift, Beyonce. I'm like, they're adult women. They are, are adult, adult women, women. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. And I again, I don't like to be too much of a stickler about this, but it yeah. does make a difference, especially if I can't, ima- can you imagine like going to work
1: mm-hmm. yeah. on these
0: shows in the 50s and 60s and people are like, oh, oh the girl writer is, and you're like, I'm 33.
1: Like yeah. what, do you, what? And there's a photo of Madeline Pug from I Love Lucy. I love Lucy Never. of all things. Sitting in a chair with the word girl writer on the back of the chair. chair. And when Mm -hmm. I first saw that, I was very grown
0: by that time. Yes,
1: very grown by that time. And I remember the first time I saw that just being so thrown like, what is this? You Mm -hmm. know what's
0: funny to think about? I can tell you nobody ever called Gertrude Berg a girl writer. Oh, that's (laughs) true. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Gertrude Berg
2: would have some thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I often get questions about when I say oh I'm an actor they're like oh, oh. not actress you don't say actress mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. I love
2: having that conversation with people who are open to it because I always bring up the fact that if you see a doctor who is female you you would just say you don't you say doctor. doctor you don't say attorneys right. my gender identity has no say in the work that I do Right. it doesn't change the work that I'm doing it's that idea of moving from flight attendant to steward mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All these these ways that we have slowly adjusted
0: the language, but it all comes from back saying "girl writer."
2: girl yep. this you can girl also that. just
0: say "writer." That's what the just yeah. say part is like. Oh, and if we must, if you need to say "female writer" or "woman writer," mm-hmm. at least that would be better than "girl writer." But like the fact mm-hmm. that all of that happens together and it becomes "girl writer" is so crazy.
1: Something I, I wanted to bring up that reminded me of something that you mentioned um, before is that. I've also done a lot of research on Gilda Radner, and something that Gilda Radner and um, Lucille Callan I saw something they had in common was being heard in a room full of men. Just Ugh. feeling as if literally, they couldn't even raise their voices loud enough to be heard over all of these men screaming. Mm -hmm. They volunteered to be the typist, or the. in Lucille Callens she would write down all the notes, because they knew that that was considered sort of a female-oriented type position, being a secretary. But what it meant was that they didn't have to raise their voice, they could just write in the jokes. So they took Mm -hmm. advantage of what these men thought was not considered sort of a quote-unquote masculine job. I sort of love those stories that they had to sort of be a little devious to kind of come up with this idea to, to get Mm -hmm. noticed uh, in their own way.
0: It's so crazy. And I mean, a number of women did later go the opposite way and like become writers via first being the secretaries that happened on the Mary Tyler Moore show, which I kind of love, Mm -hmm. but you have to have a man. Unfortunately, this is male allies. Like you have to have a man who notices and sit like, that's what happened on the Mary Tyler Moore show. They, their secretary was hilarious and they were like, you're putting in good jokes, you should just write a script, but oh, not wow. every man does that. I'll tell you that much. No. Mm-hmm.
1: I found this article um, about when Steve Allen's Tonight Show hired two women out of Barnard, and it reads like <laughs> this, like, look at this diversity hire. We hired two women out of two. college. Two whole two women. <laughs> One, isn't two. It's amazing? <laughs> it, That's four it's just- breasts. There's a deal that they were making and um I the only reason I'd heard of one of them was Carol Klein, who was part of the team. The other woman's name was Lois Balk, was mentioned by Lucille in this article as one of the four women writers that she knew. Who also, by the way, Carol Klein also wrote went on to write books as well as Lucille, and I find that interesting that the both of them felt that they had to get out of a male dominated writer's room to to write. I mean, I don't know if there are other reasons behind that, but they both sort of gravitated. No, I think that's really yeah. common, oh, really? actually. Yeah.
0: I, I can name a number of people who also did that. Gail Parent was one of them on the Mary Tyler Moore show and Rhoda who just said, I mean, I think she, I, I could be making this up, but I think that I she blatantly said to me, like, I just had to go do, like, at least this way I'm in control of the thing I'm writing. Yeah.
1: Hmm. It was that quote that you had in your essay that made me put those two together as well was um and I may be butchering it so I apologize but that something I had never heard before where Lucille said that she just was dying to get out of that environment yeah to be able to write without Sid Caesar breathing down her neck (laughs) exactly exactly I
0: mean and I just like I had always wondered you know because I did watch the um Dick Van Dyke show as a kid that was also really formative for me too seeing Rosemary I almost thought like, this is so weird. Like I didn't even realize there was a historical analog when I first saw it. And cause I was a kid and didn't have the internet. So I was just like, oh, that's weird. But you know, she was such a, I mean, I thought of her as kind of a progenitor to Mary, to Mary Tyler Moore oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, on the Mary Tyler Moore show that they kind of like paved the way for that. And also yeah. showed that the men who made that show or at least a little open to this idea of showing this cool woman in their writers' room,
1: and technically, almost like it didn't last very long. But what we know now is a showrunner because she was tapped to do Imogen Coca's show, which I can't really find anything on, honestly, myself at the moment. But I just think of the career that she could have had, and it makes me sad. Whether she, whether she wanted it in the end or not, I, you know, that's up to her, right? But I just it. I sort of mourned for that.
0: I know. And I think I think this happens to a lot, like all of these. What's, it, it reminds me a lot of with When Women Invented Television, like a number of publishers rejected it and kind of the rejections would say things like, well, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> like they said it different, but like oh. these are kind of a bummer. And I was like, yeah, I bet they thought so too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, somebody said something to the effect of like, God, it would just be so much better if they had all like banded together and overthrown the patriarchy or whatever. And I was like, it would, wouldn't it? That'd be cool. (laughs) Who knew it only took them? Um, Great end of the book, thanks. Yeah, like it just, it was, I actually even ended up at some point writing a fantasy scene where the four women did talk to each other and like ate pizza and drank vodka at Betty's house um, and like talked about their problems. Betty would have loved it. And because I thought like, I, I was like, playing around with I was like maybe we should have like a fantasy scene where they do this and that'll satisfy that urge but kind of also show that like this couldn't happen at that time but I think a lot of this too has to do with the fact that these stories are bummers we wish that every story was like a lifetime movie where someone bucked the system and won and it was super empowering but the fact is that it's hard and some women just were like ugh whatever. I'm just going to go write books and have children or like whatever. Like it's just too hard. And so that ends up being that we don't tell their stories because they're not the structure of the story.
2: I I love the idea of the fantasy. It's very uh, Top Girls, the play by Carol Churchill, that like opening scene of like, what if this had happened?
0: What if, and in the end, I just ended up telling the story, but then trying to make the last chapter feel inspiration because I find them inspiring. Mm -hmm. I find the fact that they Mm -hmm. existed and it so and survived I. inspiring. And so that to me is, you know, mm-hmm. and we have Betty. We did have Betty. She's the one who kind of like clawed her way yeah. up and kept going, but you can't blame these women for being like, screw no. No. <laughs>
1: like, They are
0: only one person. <laughs> it's not their fault.
1: You know, and it's also not Betty's fault or, or these other women's fault that Betty lived just decades and decades longer. I've written a lot about George Burns and Gracie Allen. I feel that Gracie Allen is someone who Mm -hmm. has sort of been lost to time. And part of that is because she died in the 60s and then George Burns had a career on his own that was 20 years after because he lived to be 100. And now we have people, of course, who don't really know who George Burns was. But so the fact that she just happened to just get to the end of the marathon longer isn't these other women's fault. And I, yes, it maybe is a bummer, but I think it's so important to acknowledge people whose stories have been lost to time because of their importance to where we are now. Uh, We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And we should acknowledge that existence.
2: And I think speculative, I think it's also really important to hear these stories that are sad to think about the limitations that were imposed upon them but also to be aware of all of the ones that we never even got to hear at all i think that's it's important it is For sad sure. but i think I mean, it's there's a bunch sad because we have an opportunity to stop that from happening anymore
1: this has been amazing it's been so lovely talking to you, you can think of like a million others i know like, i i wanted yeah i just want to like have a couple of yeah, like,
2: <laughs> very specific topics
1: yeah
0: <laughs> i love talking about my women who invented television in particular. So it's very exciting. So I'm just curious. Obviously, you know a lot about the women
2: of television, the women who made it, the women who starred in it. I would like to ask you if you could have a dinner party where you can invite three women from television, characters specifically, which three would you like to shove at a dinner party together?
0: I, I, I think Rhoda and Murphy Brown... It's your wild card. And who would be a third on that? God, it's so hard. That's so hard to decide. What about like Miranda from Sex and the City, but only the original <laughs> and not, and just like yeah. that?
2: <laughs> no. Okay. Which Miranda? Are we talking like later figured out her hair Miranda or like season one short hair Miranda?
0: I'm going mid, mid, mid level. Great. Mid, like Great. top oh, of love, her game, this. you know, like top of her game in terms of her job still watching a lot of the daily show mm-hmm. um and having dating pro like i'd love for them all to like talk about dating problems and also but she's like dating curves. Blair Underwood yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah. and like the cookie and that all of that like i love that Miranda we just do not speak of the other Miranda who happens later no. but yeah i think i think that's what i'm going to i'm going to go with just cuz it'd be like Three badasses. Do you know what I mean? It's very like different generational. I like that. Kind of of the same woman. That was what I was going. I couldn't decide at first which I wanted to do because we also had the other fantasy of like Mary Richards meeting Murphy would also be pretty cool. Maybe like I'll just cheat and be like Rhoda accidentally brought her with. I mean typical. (laughs) Uninvited. But just like come. You should come. You just gave up your seat. You're just going to serve. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, that's what I'm going with though.
2: I love that. I would attend. I would attend.
0: Or just ask to,
1: like, stream in on it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So where can people find you if you would like to be found?
0: Um, You know what? The easiest is just I did recently redesign my websites and pay a lot of money for it. It looks great. Definitely go to jenniferkarmstrong.com. And also everything is there. Then, like, you can get to my socials. But all of my socials are jmkarmstrong. So you can find me that way, too. I'm mostly on Instagram and TikTok these days. So... This has been great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to meet you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for our final
2: part of this interview with Jennifer. We hope to have her back again soon. We loved talking with her. Clearly. Oh, you can so hear it in So much. Verses. Yes. <laughs> and... If you have any thoughts or questions or follow up, please check out Jennifer at her socials that she shared. Please follow us. We are at Murphy Brown Pod at all of our socials. We are MurphyBrownPod.com for our website. And you can email us at MurphyBrownPod at gmail.com. Yes, please do. We'd love
1: to hear from you. And so we'll see you soon.
2: For another edition of FYI,
1: the Murphy Brown Podcast.